Welcome to Karate. The power of three. Say episode seven. Episode seven. The power of three. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. This is Garage Atois, and today we'll be talking about uh, Turning Point Foundation and its experience at the Collective Gain Conference. We'll talk again about imposter syndrome and our follow-up thoughts and children. <laughs> so stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, this is Garage Atois and the Power of Three. Up first, Maria is going to talk about a local nonprofit here in Ventura that is near and dear to her heart. Take it away, Marie. Turning Point Foundation is a local Ventura nonprofit. I am on the board of directors, and our mission is to provide mental health um, benefits, housing. Um, you know, we've got a bunch of housing developments, emergency shelter, um, temporary housing, um, transitional housing. And then our goal is to try and get people who were homeless um, back into permanent housing on their own. So I've, I've been on the board for almost two years now. It'll be two years in June. Wow. Yeah. And, um, they're doing, they're doing, I, I was drawn to them because they're doing work that's important in addressing homelessness, which is mental health and substance abuse issues, yeah. which I don't think a lot of shelters or other organizations address those two issues in particular. Um, it's more of like, like, you know, temporary shelter, emergency shelter or, or feeding people, but not really trying to address their need, their mental health needs and get them back into society, Wow, which is our goal. Yeah. Why do you think more organizations don't focus on longer term solutions? It's really difficult to, yeah. because of lo- a lot of the uh, programs we um, we provide we depend a lot on federal uh, uh, funding so we're sort of we're covering those costs and then the, the, the um, we have to bill for the hours so they're kind of like back pay so it's, it's really so we have like amazing staff that does a lot of grant writing and um, just uh, They've done a lot of work with the county of Ventura to try and just build relationships to get those funds faster, or at least on time. Um, but it's about, uh, I want to say, like 30-day waiting period to get certain certain billing time back to us. And then there's always, we're always in the red around July. Mm. Because uh, we we don't stop providing when the funding runs out, we don't stop providing the services. Totally. So, then we, so it's 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 a tough, the the nonprofit game is a tough game, but uh, I'm learning it and I'm <clears throat> trying to to help in any way that I can. What's the project that you said you're so excited about? 
It is called Growing Works, and it's actually a project with the County of Ventura. They're leasing us land for a very minimal price out in Camarillo near the University of uh, Cal State General Islands. Um, so it'll be a, um, a retail and wholesale nursery, and we'll have well, actually, this will be one of the products that we actually make revenue. <laughs> so we're pretty excited about that. Um, and we'll have people uh, working and running the nursery who uh, were uh, previous clients of ours or, or um, current clients of ours. So oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so cool. So the, like, work opportunity, it makes me think yes. of um, Homeboy Industries. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with them. What are they doing? I feel like Piper is <laughs> taking something away from Lola. It's the non. They're fighting over the non right now. Well, there's none <laughs> going to be any left if they keep eating it. You can have mine. No! What? No! Screaming was always my tactic, too. Just I scream think... until someone gives you attention. <laughs> yeah, Piper's eating Lola's non right in front of her, and Lola's screaming at her, like, no, no, but it's still happening. I feel like that's a really classic older sister move. Do either of you want to weigh in on that? <laughs> I was the oldest sister and I never did such things. <gasps> that's a lie. I can tell by the way you said it. <laughs> and then laughed afterward. <laughs> we'll have to get Chelsea on to confirm that. <laughs> Chelsea's so well adjusted. I'm a nightmare. I was a nightmare. <laughs> I feel like your brother's the one who would like really tell the truth. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Chelsea's gonna be like, it's all good, and your brother's gonna be like on December twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety seven. I have to well, I have to tell you the story. First of all, um I would make my brother my dad would ask for like a glass of water every night, and that also would be the way we could like say goodnight to him. And we had stairs and he would ask me to get it and I would make Derek get the water for like five years straight till he was like 14 and was like, no, I'm, I refuse to do this. I was mean to him. Oh, that's not mean. I, I don't think that's mean. <laughs> that's just delegating true leadership. Yeah. You learn those <laughs> lessons early when you are being interviewed by Oprah on Courtney's secrets to successful leadership. The metaphor yeah. is going to be let someone else get your dad the water. Yep. <laughs> and then later, I, my favorite story is um, I got him drunk for the first time at his 15th birthday party because oh, I, I was wow. chaperoning and he didn't drink wow. again until he was 22. So effective wow. parenting. Nice. Yeah. That's like pretty a good. that's a pretty significant amount of time that he didn't drink. Well, yeah, he it ended up with him and my dad in the shower naked and him crying. So. <laughs> <laughs> aka a typical tuesday morning for Anne, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh no shower cry is the best though shower and car cry Ooh, car cry i have a good car cry story care to share yeah, yeah. Sure. it was it, it was like it, international women's day i was pulling into work and Alicia Keys this girl is on fire was playing and I just started weeping in my <laughs> car by myself because... I don't know why I was so emotional it was like a powerful woman's song I was like feeling good and I was like whoa this is crazy and then it's like 
when you see someone else car cry, it's like you want to whisper, are you okay? But you're also kind of like, get it. You know, like get that car crying. <laughs> get, that, get it. Get it all out. I'm always <laughs> worried that something is like really wrong when I see other people crying. Because I'm like, if they are crying or other people can see them, like shit must be going down. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And this is, this is like, I always thought of myself as like, not a closed off person, but a very strong person where... You know, I left my, like, intimate cries to myself. And then all my friends, like, five years ago were like, Courtney, you cry all the time. And I was like, I do, don't I? Are you guys criers? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm a crier. I feel like you, this is not a very elegant analogy, Marie, but I feel like you are, like, a very subtle crier in the way that you're a very subtle drunk. Like I can never tell <laughs> when you are drunk, you seem like a regular, just like a regular jolly Marie. And then all of a sudden oh. you're like jumping off a wall. <laughs> and I feel like with your crying, it, I feel like you probably cry the way president Obama cries. where like, just like a little tiny <laughs> tear will come out the corner of your eye and you just sort of like wipe so it away true. with like the knuckle of your pointer finger. Like oh, you're sure. Not, yeah. You're not even wiping it. You're just sort of like yeah. sweeping it away. And it's it 10 times more powerful skin. than just being dramatic. Oh, sure. Yeah. You're like devastating to witness when you cry. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I was, that was a, that was a guess. That wasn't a, an observation. And Anne, you can't skirt the issue. Are you a crier? <laughs> I was going to say that I don't think I am, except I was visiting my brother, I guess it was two weekends ago, and there was this ESPN profile of Larry Fitzgerald, who plays for the Arizona Cardinals, and it was talking about just what an amazing philanthropist he is and a total humanitarian, and he, he shared the Walter Payton Award with Eli Manning a couple of years ago. And all these different people were telling stories about him. And they were all positive stories. Larry Fitzgerald is alive and well and still playing for the Cardinals. Nothing bad happened. And everyone over and over sharing like a very similar story of, you know, Larry played for me in high school. And five years later, I got this picture in the mail and he'd written on it. Coach, thank you for everything that you did for me. You changed my life. Tell, mm. you know, Stacy wow. and Olivia hi. And the person goes, well, who are Stacy and Olivia? And the guy starts crying, and he says, those are my kids. And I am sitting there, and, like, again, I will reiterate, nothing is going wrong. And I am sitting there just fucking sobbing at how amazing a person Larry Fitzgerald is. So I feel like I do a lot of, like, upwelling of emotion crying. I don't do a lot of I'm really, really sad crying, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yes, yes, yes. I'm totally. just not oh, in control yeah. of my emotions, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but you, but, and you always, I feel like you appreciate the subtle acts of, um, like, gratitude and someone just being, like, a good human being. Oh, Courtney, I feel like, like, what you're saying is, like, I look for those moments where people are really, truly paying attention to each other and honoring each other, and... yeah. You know, I just I just went to this event on Sunday with Collective Gain. My friend Lizzie Alberga runs it, and Collective Gain is this essentially network of coaches who have all come together under this umbrella purpose of they want to help women transform their lives. And I went to this coaching event, you know, drove down to El Segundo on a Sunday, was by myself, wasn't really sure what to expect, and 
just had the most moving, most transformative experience with these different coaching sessions. And it was, you know, a lot of it was uh, group work. So you're sitting at a table of 10 people and you have to go and introduce yourself and like, you know, do icebreakers and things that are sort of excruciating. And then over the course of the day, you just sort of see how you're feeling about who you are and what you bring to the table really shift. And I had gone there after a really tough week and I was feeling really frustrated with where I am and what I'm doing. And I walked out of the event at five o'clock on Sunday night, had to get in my car and drive another hour and a half to get back home. And I just felt really transformed. I felt like someone had not just held up a mirror and let me see what I wasn't seeing in myself. I really felt like someone had sort of taken down, to use a metaphor that one of the coaches used, really sort of taken down a wall that was in front of me. And Kim Rose, one of the coaches, she talks about shifting your shit. (laughs) It's just really Uh funny. She's very outspoken. And she says, there are walls and there are doors. And when you see a wall, you just have to look for the door. So what's the way through? And Uh it, it was just, it was so moving. And she literally has you like open a notebook and talk about like where you feel like your wall is. And then, like, get scissors out and cut a little mini door, like, in the piece of paper and, like, fold it open and write, like, what's the way out? And it just, um, you know, it's just those experiences of going and being around other people who are really trying to shift their shit, you know, and really being willing to be vulnerable in front of other people for the purpose of being vulnerable. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I was at a conference on telekinesis and we all really bonded. Like, we showed up. Because we wanted to change something in our lives. Um, and it was just, it was absolutely amazing. I, you know, I'll, I'll figure out if there are any links that I can share on the show notes. But it was just really, really moving. I'm still doing that workshop I was talking about, like, about, like, manifesting. And it's, like, putting together what you felt in that room is kind of, like, what the workshop I'm doing is how you need expanders. So you need people who are going through similar situations to kind of mirror <gasps> your subconscious and help Ooh. you kind of, like you say, walk through that door. Um, and I find it fascinating that the people that went to this are, weren't just like, you know, all women working in tech, you know, it's like people struggle, you know, with other things that aren't just the typical nine to five. And that's something I've never really, you know, experienced. And just to piggyback on the imposter syndrome, you know, more and more of these com- like conversations I've been having too, just personally, because when you start a new job, you're always kind of like. I don't know what I'm doing. Does everyone else know what they're doing? I'm an imposter. Like, why did I get this job? And that's just natural for me. Um, And someone, one of my friends was talking about how, don't you think it also comes from when you are a female in this day and age, whose grandparents probably weren't working at companies that IPO'd or in a tech industry, we have always been told you have to be excellent. There was never, oh, just try and we'll see if this works out. There's a pressure on us to be excellent. And she was talking about how do we break that that conception of I have to be excellent excellent, or else I'm not going to be successful. Oof. And that might help the imposter syndrome. And I thought that was really profound. Wow. What was the answer? It was kind of an open question. But what's interesting is instead of me trying to like come up with the answer of that, it's I'll be looking at all of these advice blogs or like even a book I bought. Um, I think we talked about it, but it's the New York times uh, bestseller in the company of woman. And after we had that conversation, I'm kind of reading through people's advice, the word excellent or 
give your best comes up a lot. And that's kind of, kind of the opposite of just try, you know? Ooh, can you say more about that? Yeah, it's just uh, if people, if women are kind of giving advice on how they got to the top, how they're succeeding, it's almost like they're, the pressure they put on themselves is now coming through as opposed to, and now I'm, and now I'm privy to it, right? Now I'm seeing the words of um, kind of you have to be the best or give your all or be excellent or, or really love what you do. And all that now is triggering kind of, maybe that's why we have more of an imposter syndrome than men because no one's ever really told us it's okay, just try or we'll fail at this together. Um, and that's kind of an interesting twist on things Whoa. I've seen now that I'm more privy to that conversation. Courtney, that's, I, that is blowing my mind right now. I mean, like Cheryl Sandberg always says, you can't be it if you can't see it. And I think part of what, it, she's maybe the worst person to cite right now. I'm so mad at them, but I think what I hear you saying is we are setting precedents for the work that we do and therefore are actually under higher scrutiny and under higher pressure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and so of course we're going to feel this pressure and sense of self doubt because there is no room for error. And we literally think that and practice it. And, and, and it's crazy because it's, you know, in my new job, which you know, is there's very few females, not because they don't hire females, but the industry is very male centric. It's construction. And I'm learning a lot, but um, I'm, I'm just seeing young people with more confidence and the ability to let themselves fail. Where in my head, I'm kind of like, I never gave myself that, that opportunity in my mind. Like, you have to be good at it no matter what, you know? Can you share well, you a little know- bit? Oh, go ahead, Marie. You've talked about, Anne, how recently, how it doesn't have to be perfect. It just, it needs to be done, right? Like not, and I I feel that that falls in line with just try, like get your shit done and then fine tune. It doesn't have to be perfect. Otherwise it'll never get done, right? Yeah. I love me some Gretchen. And just last week I was listening to one of her podcasts and she said, perfectionism is a function of anxiety, not high standards. Mm. And I was like, ouch. (laughs) Like my reaction was to be like, I'd like you to cite your source, please. But you know, it it also was exactly Marie to your point, exactly what we'd been talking about, which is like, not doing it has nothing to do with being able to do it. Not doing it has to do with being afraid of doing it. Right. Yeah. But I think also like to your point, to everyone's point is you have to see it. What was it? See it to believe it. Yeah. It's like, how can we be the role models then? We're going to perpetuate this idea that you're not an imposter. Like it's okay. And maybe it starts with us. And maybe that's why we don't really know. Like we have such strong feelings because we don't really have those those role models I called you I was a little tipsy you probably couldn't tell (laughs) um because Harry's aunt was staying with me and she and Rob had listened to my mother-in-law listened to that episode and she was like that's what I've been struggling with my whole life and she's an accomplished professor at a prestigious university saying these things and I'm just like oh my gosh wow it blew my mind so I interviewed her So we have talked about 
imposter syndrome and I want to know Cindy your take on that well I am somebody who might be described as an overachiever I graduated early from high school I graduated early from college I had my first job professional job at age 20 wow and my whole life I've thought I was an imposter that I wasn't good enough and that somehow I got all of these wonderful jobs because people didn't know the truth Hmm. and I don't know why but I think it's because um, women grow up a lot of times without self-confidence and so and especially in my generation there uh i often was the token female what 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 in the big boys club generate what generation did you quote unquote okay i'm the baby boomers okay generation and so you were in college what, what? I graduated undergrad in 1974. Okay. But I've always made a living in my career in the theater as a lighting designer. Okay. But I was oftentimes the first female to have the job, or sure. I was the only woman to be in the room. And, in hmm. fact, I ha- I've had students because um, I'm also a professor, and I've had female students um, say to me that we learned about how to negotiate the big boys club by watching you. Wow. And, and what are your accomplishments? Let's, let's, you are uh, very accomplished. I'm a professor of lighting design at one of the top theater programs in the country. And you've been there for. I've been there for 31 years. See? I'm also a professional lighting designer, and I have uh, navigated a career where um, men ruled. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time that I was doing, uh, I was at a conference and I was putting together um, uh, a panel for a conference and I was told that I, they weren't sure that I could handle this uh, and that because I was, I mean, I was a female and they weren't sure. Here I had negotiated one of the top Broadway lighting designers for a a panel and the people of the conference were like, well, we're not sure you can handle this. And the, and the Broadway lighting designer almost called off because it was such a negative vibe that she got from these guys. And I was the one that was organizing it, but they were like, well, I'm not sure that we should allow you to do this because you're, you know, you're a a female and we've never had women doing this. And it was like, you know, uh, I mean, I my first job out of undergraduate school, I was the first female to have that job. Wow. And the men, I don't know what it was about the men, but women are nurturing. Sure. But the men aren't. 
No. And it was interesting because in this situation that I was at, the male colleague, um, he did everything he could to undermine what I was doing. Because I was always taught that there's many ways to do something. Mm -hmm. And so I would teach the students there's many ways to do something. And as soon as I told the female students how to do something, he would come and tell them that it was wrong and they needed to do it a different way. And so years later, Mm -hmm. this person came up to me at a conference and apologized for having treated me that way. But I think he only apologized because I was so successful. I was more successful than he had been. So you essentially surpassed his success and, you know, showed him what Mm -hmm. he he was thinking was not. He was wrong, but I think he only admitted he was wrong because Because I turned out to be a success in his mind. Women, I think, are trained. Yeah. Or I don't know that we're trained that way, but we always think we're not good enough. Right. I mean, the old adage is for a woman to be successful, you have to be twice as smart as a man. Right. And so I think that um, even though I've had a very successful career, I've always had a career in my chosen field. Mm -hmm. And I teach at one of the top universities and I've had a very good career. But I always have that self-doubt that I don't deserve it. Maybe that's Uh, what the question is, is that as women, we don't feel like we deserve to be successful. Right. But you do. We do, and my friends reinforce that. But I think we all individually think, oh, my God, I couldn't. uh, How did I get this job? There's so many other more talented people. But you've you've been there for 30 years. Yeah, so you would think that I would think otherwise. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And you still still feel, you still have some of that. I can't believe that. No way. Well, because we're always questioning ourselves, and are we good enough? Oh. I can't believe that. So, I mean, I think think no matter how successful you are, how long you do it, I mean, we always question ourselves. Wow. So that's why I, I, and I think it stems from the fact that as women, Mm -hmm. we need to be bolstered to have self-confidence. Yeah. Because when when I was starting out, I didn't have any self-confidence. Because as women, I don't know, we, um, I don't know what it is about that, that women, um, I mean, I'm really cognizant of it now. I mean, even my female students, uh, I think they feel the same way. They doubt themselves. Still, even still. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why that is that as women, we don't have the same confidence as men, but it's something that needs to be reinforced all the time, I think, with young girls. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so great that your daughters go, I'm a girl. What's your superpower? <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't have that growing up. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so I think it um, it's something that, and like I said, my female students early on, they they knew that there was a glass ceiling. Because oh. they would come to me and say, you're a role model for me because I see you navigate the big boys club. So wow. even as college students, they knew they that there was, it. they recognized that there was something, something that a barrier. Um, 
Yeah, that there was a barrier. Uh, wow. That, you know, uh, in fact, my first teaching job, a male colleague got paid more money than me. And when I questioned, I was told that he was married and had a kid and I was single. Uh, so I shouldn't possibly make as much money as he did. Oh, wow. I mean, when I started, there weren't that many women in my field. But now there are a lot more women. But there's still, there's still um, uh, some of that. Yeah. That goes on in the industry. Mm. I think things will change. But as I said to my students, my female students, mm-hmm. that if they really want change, then they have to be courageous enough to deal with it in the moment. Okay. If you let it go and then you come and tell somebody about it, it's too late. But, I mean, there's still a lot of change that needs to happen. Right. I mean, um, until more women get in positions of, of authority that are going to make the change, there's still going to be inequity of salaries. There's still going to be, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that, you know, female directors, like with the Oscars that are just happening, mm-hmm. that, you know, a female director or a director, the first female director of photography to be nominated. I remember 20 years ago when I took my students to L.A. and we met with the director of photography union and one of my female students raised her hand and asked the president why aren't there female director of photographers? And he was like, he was shocked to hear that question. And then he made some lame answer. So it's taken this many years for somebody to be in the union and get nominated for a film. Wow. I mean, we're still so way behind. Behind on, even in the in, film in industry. In many, yeah, many aspects many, of the industry. Many, yeah. so many aspects, but... But you're you're forging ahead in in your field, and you're well. And I'm hoping that the the girls, you know, the women, the young women, are gonna, you know, that with every generation you make progress. But you know, at the same time, there for every leap forward that you make, it seems like there's also something that some um, setback that sets you back. So, but we're going to see. I mean, it's it's an exciting time right now with the meet you know the Me Too Me movement Too. and the Never Again mm-hmm. and women are now talking about running for office and there's you know there's the potential for all of that change, which is quite exciting. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think that women need to feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And they need to find strategies to deal with what happens to them in the workplace so that they find an outlet for change rather than being the victim that they are able to turn it around and find ways to make that change happen. So they... They need to recognize it right away rather than... And have power. Sure. And not feel that they have to either deal Wait with it alone. Wait until something happens. Right, exactly. They, yeah. That there's strength in numbers and that there is a way to go after it instead of feeling that, you know, you're the victim of, of what happens. 
So in your experience being in the position that you are and going through everything you've gone through in the last 30 years, like what would your advice be to young women today? Just first of all, to believe in yourself. Don't be afraid to ask somebody, a mentor, to help you and guide you and that not to give in to imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because believe in yourself. Because you are <laughs> you are a rock star. You're worth that it. That you are definitely worth it. Yeah. And to never doubt that you aren't and to um, and to know that there's strength in numbers. That for everything that you feel, somebody has already felt it, and the wiser self is going to be able to look back and say, yes, you were awesome, and you did it. And you've been there, and you know. Yeah. So you can say that. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. So, so the young girls are going to rock. Yes. Thank you, Cindy, for giving us this advice. This is amazing, and we all need to take it to heart. date with Chelsea who's in finals and having oh not breakdowns but it's like how do you tell someone study hard but these don't matter (laughs) (laughs) I think you just did it well Chelsea we love you you're gonna do great I love you guys I miss you please stay safe love you stay safe yes stay safe everyone love y'all love you bye bye Bye. welcome to the new world